Okay, we're in the book of Acts. If you can go ahead and flip there, um, Acts chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 8. You might stick a thumb in those two places, and that's where we will be um, hanging out today. Um, good to see you today. And if you're new with us, let me just go ahead and tell you this um, right off the, the cuff so you can do this while, um, while we're preaching today. If you'll fill this out and, and then put that in the offering plate at the end of the service, that would let us know that you're here. We'll send you some good stuff in the mail. We'll make it worth your while. And so if you'll fill that out for us today, and then um, when we pass the offering plate at the end, that would be a perfect place to sit that. Okay, so we are traveling through the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be for most of this fall. And we've come to an interesting passage, a really famous passage in the book of Acts that uh, you've probably heard preached a thousand times. We're about to spend five weeks in it. And it's kind of this, this description, this, this descriptive picture that Luke gives of the early church. And so now let me make this distinction right off the, the cuff here, though. It's not a prescriptive picture. It's descriptive. This is Luke just saying, listen, this is what was happening in the early church. This is how it was unfolding. This is not Luke saying, this is exactly how church has got to happen in the 21st century. Okay, like, let me make um, this clear with maybe this illustration. In verse 44 and 45, we're about to read this. He's going to say all these people had their possessions in common. They all threw it into one big pot. And so if you had a house, you threw it in there. If you had some land, you threw it in there. If you had a dog, they threw I mean, everything they had, they threw If you had a college student, probably $9 thrown into the pot. And so um, they threw all their stuff in, in there together, and then they dispersed it to people who had need. And so that's not, it's just a descriptive picture. It's saying this is how it was working in the early church. It's not saying that, okay, 21st century church, America, let's throw it all in one pot and then let's disperse. It's not trying to get that across. It's just a descriptive picture. Here's how it was unfolding. Okay, so let me read this to you. We're going to start in verse 42. And here's why we're spending five weeks in it. In this picture of the early church, I think we're going to see some values that they had. Like some core values in the church that he's describing here that I think transfer over into any culture, transcend every time period. And so in the 21st century, it's very applicable to us. And so we're going to pull out these core values over the next five weeks and talk about how does this apply to our Stonegate family? Like how do these values that we see here apply now today? Okay, so here we go, verse 42. And they... Um, This is the 3,000 people. Peter had just preached. 3,000 people got saved. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts, or the temple together, and praising God and having favor with all people. And then listen to this last phrase here. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Don't we want that? Let me read that again. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so real quick, you see that it is God who saves. Amen? Amen. Like, this, this is a God-directed thing. But here's the other end of this, is that God typically uses ordinary means. So it is a God who saves through ordinary people like you and I living in such a way that we get the gospel out. Now, now here's how we're going to articulate this, and this is kind of the first core value that we're going to talk through this week. We're going to articulate it like this. It's called missional living. It's the idea of us living in such a way that the gospel flows through us to other people. 
Okay, now if that's the first time you've heard it, um, let me go to Wikipedia of all places and we're going to get a definition for you here. It'll be on the screen. Missional living is a Christian term that describes a missionary lifestyle. Adopting the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel message. Because that's what it means to live on mission, missional living. It is us adopting this posture of a missionary and living that out here. Okay, now let me do a quick recap to get us to the end of chapter 2. Um, Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, Acts is Volume 2. So they go together. It's Volume 1, Volume 2, the Gospel of Luke, then Acts. And so at the very beginning of Acts, Luke wants you to know what the foundation for all these acts that we're about to see. And so he's going to point right back to the Gospel of Luke right from the beginning. He's going to say this, I formally dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So automatically Luke is wanting us to see backwards to the cross. So he wants to make sure we have in view the Gospel. Because the gospel is what enables all of these acts that we see in the book of Acts. The gospel enables all of these things. So the gospel is the foundation that all of these beautiful acts are, are built on. The gospel is the foundation, like a, take a, like a Saul, for instance, in, in Acts chapter 9. It's this radical conversion. I, I can't imagine a more hardened man to the gospel. And the gospel comes along and is the foundation point that totally changes Saul. It is the foundation for all these miracles, all these things that we see happening in the book of Acts have their foundation in Luke, in the gospel. So here's how we articulated this last week, that the gospel changes everything. I mean, are we okay with that? The gospel changes everything for us. The gospel does it all. Okay, so the gospel comes along, and here's what it does for you and I personally. The gospel comes along, and it's going to justify us before God. So now no longer are we declared guilty, but now God takes that that guilty verdict for us, and makes us innocent. Now we're seen as righteous. It reconciles us. We were enemies with God, but because of the gospel, we are friends of God, right? Okay, the gospel is going to redeem us. We're in the bondage of sin. The gospel frees us from that. Um, the gospel, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it's going to say this, that the gospel makes us a new creation. That is the gospel playing itself out. In Jeremiah, it's going to describe it this way. The gospel is going to come in and turn your heart of stone into a heart that's got flesh, into a heart that's soft to Jesus. That's what the gospel does. So, okay, wouldn't we all agree that the gospel is great? Wouldn't we all agree with that? The gospel is great. Okay, now, now here, here's where this turns. The same God that saves you with the gospel sends you with the gospel okay let me say this again the same jesus that saves you sends you okay and that's what we see very early on in acts acts chapter 1 verse 8 goes like this but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you okay we've talked about that last week when you become a christian you joyfully surrender your life the holy spirit indwells and empowers you and here's what it empowers you to do and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's what he's saying. That same gospel that saves you. The great gospel that redeems, that saves. The great gospel that does that also sins. So if you are saved by Jesus, you have been sent by Jesus. Okay, here's how I want to articulate it this morning. The gospel manufactures missionaries. The gospel creates missionaries. 
The gospel makes missionaries out of you and I. That's what it does by nature. When God saves us, he sends us. We have been made by God to be missionaries of his grace. Okay, now when I hear the word missionary, it automatically conjures up weird thoughts. I can, here's how my weird thoughts go. I go back to like seeing this image of a guy on a stage that's been a missionary. He's come back to like speak to your church. He's got one of those little projectors that you actually put the little slides in there and you click it. You know what I'm talking about? The little round thing on the top, that whole thing. And the first slide's this little hut in Africa. And you're, in my mind instantly is like, I don't want to live there. Okay, the next thing, you, you get the village that he's kind of working in. Here's an elephant in his back. I mean, all this crazy stuff, right? And so I remember praying this sort of a prayer growing up. God, you can do anything with me, but God, kill me before you send me to Africa, right? I mean, I, I remember praying that sort of a thing. God, you can do anything but that. So there's automatically kind of this weird bent when you hear the word missionary. So I want to diffuse that and say this. Being a missionary has nothing to do with location. Nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with your primary occupation. That's what being a missionary is. Nothing to do with where you are. You can be a missionary in Malaysia or Midlothian. Doesn't matter on your location. It's your primary occupation. That is the issue. Being a missionary is living in such a way that we are intentionally pointing other people to Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what being a missionary is. We're living with the intentional purpose, primary occupation. We go to work, we're in our neighborhoods, we're doing, recreating, whatever we're doing, we are doing that with the intentional purpose of pointing other people to Jesus Christ. That's what being a missionary is. And we've all been manufactured. When the gospel saves you, it makes you this. The God who saves sins. Okay, so let me build my case with one other, one other verse here. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. Verse 17 is a passage a lot of you know, and it's going to say what we just repeated a second ago. It's going to say this idea that when God saves you, he makes you a new creation. The beauty of the gospel. God saves, he redeems. But then it's going to go on to say this in verse 18. All of this is from God. All this saving stuff, God initiates, he saves people. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself but then listen to this phrase and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so the god who saves he's sending now verse 19 that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation this is god's typical way of working out the gospel on the planet entrusting us with the gospel to get it out okay and then this last phrase verse 20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay, now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we do ambassador-like stuff. It's saying we are ambassadors. When you say we are something, that is getting to the core of what you are. So we are not nurses in here, teachers, technicians, salespeople, we are not that. We may do that, but we are ambassadors. So ambassadors, this thing that we are, this getting the gospel out, this manufactured missionary idea, this is what we are. So what we are seeps into everything we do. What we are comes out in a thousand different ways just depending on where we find ourselves. But what we are is the core essence of what we're here for, right? And it's saying, listen, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
Your job, you, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness. That's what Luke is saying here in 1.8. That you are a manufactured missionary. Our job, our witnessing, we proclaim the gospel. We speak it boldly. The mighty works of God are on our lips. That's the idea here. Okay, now I need to make a tough statement. Almost every Christian I know, there's a disconnect with this. Almost every Christian I know is satisfied with being saved. And there's a real disconnect to now joining in in this sending part of this. Um, my, my dad's here today, and uh, I, I don't know if he remembers this story, but this one will forever stick in my mind. Um, this was back into like cocky little punk fifth grade mode. This is what I was operating in right here, okay? So let me just preface the whole thing. Don't hold this against me. This is punk fifth grade coming out, all right? So I am in the fifth grade thinking that I, whatever, you know? And uh, my older brother, Ryan, we go out to the garage. And as we go out, we're getting something like out of the deep freeze or something. As we go out uh, in the garage, the door locks behind us. My dad just kind of playing a joke, locks the door. We go get whatever we're getting. We come back, turn the, the, you know, the handle, we're locked out. Here's what comes out of my mouth. That son of a... Mm. About that time, my dad opens the door. Now, here's what that moment revealed, like looking back. Like, I just want to kill myself looking back at that, you know? Um, here's what that moment reveals. In that moment, how far my heart was away from my dad's, right? And you know what I think is the reality for a lot of us? That our actions give us away. Our actions give our hearts away. The same God who saves sins. But for so many of us, we haven't got to the sending part of this. We're great with the saving part, but there is this other element of God using us in the world for his purposes. Okay, now when I think missionary, when I think, just, when I think of personal evangelism, me speaking the gospel... There's like several of these images that really kind of jump into my head that I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I've got this in me. Like I think of TV evangelist guy, and I'm like, listen, I don't own bright colored suits and, and like cufflinks. I don't own those things. And, and I don't own a private jet either, you know. I, I, don't, I don't have those things. And so I, I look at that, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't have that flamboyant flair. Okay, now I think of... Uh, downtown Fort Worth, if you've ever been there on a Saturday night and you go to watch a movie in downtown Fort Worth, you've got this little ring of guys, probably with these little signs, and as you pass by, they see you going in the movie theater, it's you're going to hell. And I look at that, and I'm like, I definitely don't have that in me. Like, that is not going to be my, my message here. Um, I, I think of, like, I saw this video here a while back of a gospel linebacker. I don't know if you saw this video, where you've got this guy, he's dressed up in kind of his pads, his whole deal just looking for an unsuspecting person to blitz, you know? And like, I'm just, I look at that, I'm like, that is not, that's not how this flows out of me. It's just not the deal. And so, and I think a lot of us have that in us, that we look at that and we see these pictures and we're like, how does this work out with me? With my personality, my kind of tendencies, how does the gospel get its way out? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to encourage you with this. 
that being a missionary, missional living, being sent by God, it is something you can do. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, missional living, pointing other people to Jesus is something you can do. It is within your realm of what God through you can do. Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 8, and that's where we're going to see this picture. Okay, now when you think early church, the Lord adding to their number daily, that's beautiful, right? And it's really easy to romanticize the early church. It was a bloody and brutal thing. I mean, being a Christian in first century world is not the easiest deal. Okay, and you see this really early on in in Acts 8. Um, Here's how chapter 8 starts. Saul is ravaging people. You come down to verse 3, and here's what it says. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I I say this a lot, but I want to keep saying it just so you, hopefully it'll kind of seep into how you read the Bible. Don't read it too fast. I imagine what that sounds like as a dad is ripped out of his home, kids crying. I mean, just imagine what that feels like, dragging off men and women, throwing them into prison. And then look at verse 4, though, and this is beautiful. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city. Philip, we're kind of reintroduced from chapter 6. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Okay, so you've got a really brutal situation, and here's what you see all through the book of Acts. In these brutal situations, people still proclaiming the gospel, speaking the gospel. And this was the whole point of last week. Here was the deal for last week. If you missed it, you can podcast it, or you can get it right here in 30 seconds. The thing of last week was the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a missionary. The first thing the Holy Spirit turns on in your life, switches to active in your life, is you speaking boldly. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the people. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, that they had the mighty works of God on their lips. Middle of Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, gives a sermon. So you've got preaching that shines through. Every chapter in the book of Acts, basically, you can see people boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus. Boldly proclaiming the gospel. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he empowers great preaching. But here's where I wanted to go with today. Because... Here's the problem with where I left it last week, is it's an incomplete picture. It's not complete. And so we need today to kind of round off the edge here to make it a complete picture. And here's, let me illustrate it this way. Here was basically the message of last week, and I'll illustrate it with uh, kind of a war-type imagery. If you give me Band of Brothers and a week, I'm a happy guy. I mean, you give me that little DVD set, pop it in, I don't need outside contact for a while, Okay. And so um, here's what you're going to notice about warfare 80 years ago. I mean, this seems to me the strategy of how, how we bombed people 80 years ago. We just get enough planes in the air, throw enough bombs on the ground, surely we're going to hit something of value. I mean, there's going to be at some point something's going to get hit that's going to do some damage. Um, okay, now that is where I think I left it last week. Preach the gospel. Have it on your lips. If you picture the gospel as a bomb that totally reorients and changes everything about a person, the the message last week was bomb everywhere, every time you can with the gospel. Throw it out there everywhere. Okay, now here I think would be modern day warfare when it comes to bombing things. Somebody has a little laser guided, I don't even know what you call it, but they put it on the window. A plane launches this missile. 
And you've seen the pictures, you know? And so um, the laser guides this missile, not just to the building, but to the window they want it to go through, right? I mean, it's a, it's a crazy picture of watching this happen. A missile goes through that window that they're aiming at. And, and so now it seems like the, the, the way we bomb is how can we be most precise and most effective with the fewest amount of missiles? I think that is the idea of what the Holy Spirit does in us. And that's where I want to go with you this morning, that here is the job of the Holy Spirit in our life as we boldly proclaim the gospel. It is the laser that guides the gospel missile to the precise window, to the precise hearts that God is working in. Does that make sense? Okay, now watch this play out in Luke chapter, or in Acts chapter 8. It goes like this, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, okay, now the angel of the Lord, I think it can be synonymous with us saying the Spirit of God spoke to somebody. So the Spirit of God said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is a desert place, verse 27, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Verse 29. And the Spirit again said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Okay, so so here's the point here. Missional living, us getting the gospel out, begins with you and I walking in the Spirit. That's where it begins. Us walking in the Spirit. Now, I don't want to make this overly mystical because it's not. But, but here's like the biblical testimony to what I'm talking about here. In Galatians 5.25, it's going to say this, that those of you who live by the Spirit, you walk in the Spirit or by the Spirit. Um, John 10 is going to say this, my sheep hear my voice. Okay, so we have got a God who talks, amen? We've got a God who speaks. We have got a God who is actively engaged with his people. So walking in the Spirit basically means this. That you and I are in a constant communication with God. When we wake up in the morning, we are asking God to speak. We are listening for the voice of God in our life. That's the point here. The the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It leads us. Oh, okay, now, this is where this gets a little bit scary. Like when I make a statement like this. This is not just a God who speaks in Scripture. God also speaks outside of Scripture, through friends, through circumstances, through you praying. And and I'm going to throw this one in here, through promptings, where the Holy Spirit just prompts us, just gives us a thought in our heart. Okay, you have God speaking in a thousand different ways in in the Bible. You've got him in a dream to Joseph, your brothers are going to bow down. What eighth grader doesn't want that dream, you know? So your brothers are going to bow down. Um, You've got him speaking to Moses almost in this eerie way. All throughout the Bible, God speaks through a variety of different ways. Okay, now let me clarify all that with this statement. God speaks outside of Scripture, but never contrary to Scripture. And so if you were to walk up to me and say, um, God's telling me to have an affair. Either you are lying or the Bible's lying. I'm going to go with you. Okay, it's just me, I'm going with you. Okay, he doesn't speak contrary to Scripture. That's not how it works. So everything that he speaks outside of Scripture aligns with Scripture. Okay, I, I, maybe I can help on the other side with this. Um, if you're a married man in here, 
And if I ask you this question, why did you marry your wife? I mean, I'm sure your first response would be because she's beautiful, she's great, I mean, yeah, okay, we're there. Um, Now, now, when I pressed you down, I think this is what would come out. Well, God, at the end of the day, God told me to. I think God led me there. Well, okay, unless your woman's name is like Esther or Rahab, you probably didn't flip to a page in the Bible and find her in there. That happened because the Holy Spirit prompts, confirms. He speaks to you, right? Okay, now here is the, here's the point with missional living, with us living with this intentional purpose of pointing other people to, to Jesus. Okay, now write this statement down if you're taking notes here. Missional living is dependent upon attentiveness to and cooperation with the activity of the Holy Spirit. Missional living, us living in this sort of an intentional way is dependent upon an attentiveness to and cooperation with the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit prompts, leads, guides. This is how the Holy Spirit laser guides the missile of the gospel to people. This is how it plays out. So, okay, in Acts chapter 8. This, I mean, just imagine this. Philip is doing his thing. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes down and says, Hey, I want you to go on this road to Gaza. Now, let me ask you this question. Would Philip have gone without that? I don't think he would have. I mean, I think Philip was just fine where he was. And the Spirit comes and says, Go down that road. That's the road I want you to go down. He goes down the road, then he looks at Philip and he says, Now, you see that chariot? I want you to go to that chariot. That is a laser on the heart of a person that needs the gospel. Okay, that that is what the Holy Spirit does. That's why it is so vital for you and I to be in constant communion with God. For us on a daily, hourly, minutely level, us hearing the voice of God in our life. Because that is how the Holy Spirit directs us to people who God is working on. So let me ask you this question. Are you hearing the voice of God in your daily life? Tomorrow, you're going to go to your job, you're going to do your thing. Are you hearing the voice of God there? Are you hearing God speaking to you? Okay, now if you're not, it's not because God isn't speaking. It's not because he's not prompting. It's really easy to overpower the voice of God with busyness, with stuff. I mean, you name it. Are you hearing the voice of God in your life? I came from student ministry background, and, and this happened probably about five years ago. Um, it was like a Monday, and I get this prompt of this weekend, you need to get your crew of guys, I, I was kind of working real hard on a group of eighth graders at that point, you need to get your crew of guys, and you need to get them together, and you need to give a night, Friday night, with just an intentional effort to get the gospel out. I mean, just a real simple prompt. You get your group of guys, and, and you get with them, and you're going to do whatever you can to get the gospel out that night. And so here's what happened. Friday night rolled around. I was in the middle of seminary, homework. I mean, my life was horrible at that point. And, and so I stopped all that, pushed that to the side, get a crew of guys. And we, I pick them up, three guys, three eighth-grade boys, pick them up at a house. And this is how this night started. We got them around this little living room table, three eighth-grade boys, me, and we just pray. And the prayers start like, it kind of goes around. We all kind of took our turn. We ended up and, and basically said this, God, we are available tonight. God, will you lead us? Will you show us where you want us to go, what you want us to do? We are completely available. If you want to bring flat tires, whatever you want to do, God, you just give us people to help, people to come into contact with, and we are available. 
Now push pause on that story and we're going to come back. That prompt, here's what it did. It lifted my gaze beyond the grind of life to what God wanted to do in the world. All right? That, that's what the prompting, that's what the voice of God does for us. Okay, now let's keep reading. Verse 30. So Philip ran down to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? Okay, so now catch up with the scene here. The Holy Spirit prompts, that rode that chariot. Now, I, I think you're at a real decisive moment here. Do you do that or not? I mean, are you going to go that route or are you not going to go that route? And, and here's what it says about Philip. He ran to the chariot. And, and here's, I think, the principle at play here. To live on mission, it is listening to the voice of the Spirit. It is walking in the Spirit. But it is also this, being willing to walk out of comfort. It's being willing to go there. I mean, we would all agree. We talked about this last week. We would all agree that you talk Jesus to people, it is awkward. I mean, there's just no three ways to say it. You ought to be a preacher and listen to how this conversation goes out. This is normal airplane conversation right here. You get on the airplane, and the guy is friendly. I mean, you're chest bumping, you're high five. I mean, you're doing it all. I mean, this guy, is, he's fine with you. And, and so you're talking, you're having this conversation. What do you do? What He tells me what he does. He's a salesman. He's a whatever. Probably throws a couple of words out there in the middle of that. I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, it's not like, I'm not, mel I mean, we're fine. Okay, then the question comes back. Well, what do you do? Like, this is where it gets awkward, right? Because I say back, I, I'm a pastor. It's like I said I had the swine flu. I mean, this guy totally turns around on me, right? And so you just know talking the gospel is risky. So can we all just make this resolution that we will be willing to step into risky conversations? That is what the Holy Spirit empowers you and requires you to do. That we will step in to the risky waters of gospel conversations. Now, I think there's a biblical principle at play here. Like, I think of, of the story in Matthew where the disciples are in the boat, right? They're in the boat. And the water is battering the, the boat. They're thinking they're about to die. Jesus comes to them, and they're like, whoa, it's a ghost. No, it's Jesus. And Peter looks at him and says, can I walk out to you? And Jesus says, come. That's a prompt of the Holy Spirit, come. And Peter's got this decision-making moment here. Do I step out or not? Peter steps out. And he walks on water. He steps out, walks on water. Biblical principle goes like this. You have got to step out of the boat. You have got to step out if you want to find out what God is up to. You've got to step out of the boat. You don't walk on water in the boat. You walk on water when you step out of the boat. Okay, now apply this to, to Philip here in Acts 8. The Holy Spirit says, go, that road, that chariot. Do you do it or do you not? It's risky. You've got to step out to find out what God's going to be up to. He runs to the chariot. There's no guarantee here. He might find a man willing to kill him. It might be Saul in that chariot. Who knows what's going to happen in that chariot? He runs to it, and what does he find? The guy's reading Isaiah. I mean, come on. He's straight up reading Isaiah. Green light, right? That doesn't happen unless he steps out to find that out. Biblical principle. You have got to step out to find out. So here's what that means. You have got to step out in your workplace with the person you've worked with forever to find out what God is up to there. You've got to maybe initiate conversation. You've got to turn conversation. In your neighborhood, you've got to step out to find out what God is up to there. 
in your family, you've got to step out to find out what God's up to. Are you willing to walk out of your circle of comfort? That, that's the point. Okay, now here's, here's where this goes. We're in the living room, pray. God, whatever. Flat tire, you just give us something to do, we are willing. Pull out of this guy's house, and he's literally 100 yards from the main road. We pull up, there are five cars pulled over with flat tires. No kidding. I, I can't even make this up. To make it even more awkward, two of their tires were all deflated. They're running across Matlock, kind of where this house was. It's busting two of their tires every time. They, they, don't, they can't put two spares on. I mean, we've got a captive audience here. And so we're just helping. We're just doing everything we can to get the gospel out here. Okay, so flat tire episode ends. We, okay, what are we going to do next? We go to Wendy's to get something to eat. Of all places, Wendy's. We're sitting there eating. Three guys walk in. I'm with three eighth grade young guys. These guys are big. I mean, they look a little bit intimidating. I was even a little bit like, I, I don't know. I asked the question, what do y'all think? What do y'all, should we talk to them? Not, they're like, no, let's, let's don't do that. We talk to them. They come over. We sit down beside them. As the Holy Spirit led, we straight up shared the gospel with them. Risky conversation. I'm pretty sure they could have killed all four of us if they'd have wanted to. Risky. Awkward. Talking Jesus with them in Wendy's. They're eating, we're eating. Awkward. Step out to find out. Are we willing to go there? Okay, let's finish this up. Okay, so missional living begins with walking in the Spirit. That's how, that's how it starts. God prompts us in that direction. It continues. It requires this idea of stepping out of your comfort. You've got to be willing to go into risky conversations. And then here's what sustains missional living. is by waiting on God for the results. I mean, the results are God-given. Our role is to listen and obey. God's role is to save. So, so here's how this story plays out in verse 31. And he said, he's reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip just asked him. Here's what he says in return. How can I unless someone guides me? I mean, that's a beautiful conversation. Wouldn't you love that? And listen, people cannot be saved apart from you and I sharing the gospel. That is how people are saved. It's got to be explained. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was, like the, or was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I asked, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, risky conversation, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. That is how the gospel advances. You've got to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. Verse 36, God comes in, restores, regenerates this person's heart, saves this person. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. Thank God that we have a God who saves. Amen? We have a God who does that. He leads. He prompts Philip, have this conversation in this place, and he does it. He does it, and God saves. 
wouldn't we all agree that at the end of Acts chapter 2, we want a church, this would be said about it. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved, right? We want that. This comes through people proclaiming the gospel. That's how it comes about. When you think of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, I think you would agree this was an unlikely situation. So let me just encourage you on this. For those that you have given up hope on, they'll never change. This will never happen. It might. Saul was really unlikely. So we're sitting in Wendy's, awkward conversation. He's eating, I'm eating, we're eating, sharing the gospel, talking Jesus. Two of the guys are making fun of us the whole time we're talking to him. Three of them, two of them are mocking everything we say. One of them, I mean, we're, we're on this. He's listening, we're talking. I mean, this thing is going well. In the middle of Wendy's, Darrell Wallace gets saved while his two friends are mocking him. Did you know that if you're a believer, you are a believer because the Holy Spirit at some point prompted a person who listened, stepped out of their circle of comfort, risky conversation, depended on God for the results, and you were saved. Now you say, no, okay, for me. I grew up in a Christian family. That, that, I, I mean, mine was just kind of a natural. I heard a revival thing going on. That's how I got saved. At some point in my past, like my family's not always been Christian, right? At some point in my past, somebody took a walk of faith, great-grandpa, great-somebody, and they shared the gospel, and somebody in my family got saved. And we'll just take it down my dad's side with a grandma, for me a grandma, that raised my dad in a Christian home. My dad becomes a Christian. My dad raises me in a Christian home. I become a Christian, and now I'm a pastor of a church. That's how the gospel gets out. It's a chain reaction of a gospel bomb. And may you be responsible through the power of the Holy Spirit of a chain reaction like that. Right? Let's pray. God, I pray over our Stonegate family. that we would be the sort of people who live on mission with the intentional purpose of pointing people to Jesus. In our workplaces, God, may that be said about us. In our neighborhoods, in our families, may we be people living on mission. God, may we step into that. May our hearts like resonate with you on that. Would we not be the sort of people that sit comfortable in our salvation, but God, realize that you have sent us. So God, I pray for Holy Spirit-empowered conversations this week. God, I pray for promptings that would lift our eyes above the grind of life, the people that we normally, like just our normal circle of friends, circle of influence. God, that we would be willing to step into those deep waters of risky conversations. And God, may we get to pump our fist with you as you produce great results. We have pressed hard over the last few weeks of living in the middle of the race. I mean, we talked Hebrews 12 a couple of weeks ago. 
that you run your race, you finish the line, or you cross the line, you, you, you run well. But maybe this is the question for this morning. Maybe it's not just you crossing the line and you running this race. Maybe the question this morning is, are you inviting people into the race with you? Maybe it's not just, are you going to cross the finish line? But maybe this morning's question is, who is going to cross that finish line with you? May we all be people who join hands with other people and cross that line with them. So God, we pray that. God, I pray that over our families, over our teenagers, over our ladies in here, over our men in here. God, that we would be gospel talkers. And God, maybe we need to repent this morning. Maybe we need to ask you to give us a heart for that this morning. God, maybe you need to restore that, that desire in us. God, may you, may you give us just a burning, the gospel's got to come out of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing just a closing song this morning.
this time.